0: All right. Good morning. You guys ready for this? Gary's ready. I think I'm ready. Um, Hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that everybody is here today. Um, As the kids are are running out of here, I thought, um, you know, I just want to start with with prayer today. Um, We've got multiple things going on. Like, for example, one of the things I want to pray for is Larry. Um, He's been sick for over a week now, right? I mean, 10 days? It, well three oh three weeks, but it's been kind of up and down, but like um, every time we think Larry is better, um, he's not. And so he keeps popping fevers again and, and sick again and he's really weak. Um, you can imagine some of us have been sick for a long period of time how tough that is, but we just got a lot a lot of people sick. I don't know the trokies have been sick. there's like so many people sick right now. Um, and so I just want to pray for us in general, but specifically for Larry because he's been sick for so long and he's just so weak. And um, if you didn't know this already, Larry as one of our deacons, um, is just an integral part of what we do. Uh, he gives so much of his time, so much of his heart, of his life. Um, he's one of those people that we have to protect. Like I say to Larry all the time, No, Larry, you're not allowed to do that. Somebody else volunteer, because Larry is the first one to raise his hand. And so we got to protect people like Larry because his heart is just so big, sometimes a little too big. Um, and I know this has been really hard for him um, not to be able to do as he usually does. And so, um, but also, I know a lot of us carried other things in this, other kinds of weakness, right? We not be sick today, but just just being in this life, being in this world, we bring sickness with us, the flesh, the sin, whatever else tries to get us down. And so um, I just want to call out to the Lord today in our weakness because he is our strength. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are tremendously grateful to be here today to be able to worship you so freely, to be able to talk about you so freely. God, I know today um, so many of us brought so many burdens and worries and cares and distractions into this room. God, I, I am just so thankful for that last song that reminds us how faithful that you are. God, sometimes we're faithful, sometimes we're not. Sometimes, God, we chase you and we're on fire, and sometimes we are just fickle and we wander and we forget, yet you were there and you are faithful. God, I pray you'd help us all to remember that today. God, sometimes it's, it's in our, our weakness, in our sickness that you feel furthest away in our hearts, because we don't turn to you in those things. But God, you tell us in your word, it's that at those times we can realize that how, how strong you really are. It's in our weakness that your strength shines through. God, nobody knows that more clearly than I have over the last couple months with the things going on with my inner ear. And so God, I pray that for all of us in here today, we cannot see our weakness as something that's foreign, something that's weird, but that in this world, weakness is going to come. But it's, it's there that when we turn to you, when we seek you, we will find you and we'll find our strength. God, in particular today, I want to pray for those who are sick in our church, who are struggling, but in particular with Larry, God, I know that it's been three weeks for him and he's just getting exhausted. I know Mary's getting exhausted. So God, I just pray for healing over Larry. God, that whatever the doctors need to do, God, we know that you, you heal from miracles. You heal, heal, um, through prayer, you heal with medication. You heal with the wisdom of people who have done this for a long time. God, we, we don't really care how you heal Larry and how you heal others who are sick. We just ask that you do heal one way or another and that you use whatever method you think is right. But God, we will. We do pray for just miraculous, miraculous healing for Larry today. God, I pray for healing for me. I don't wanna stand up here and act like I'm strong when I'm not. I still need things to be fixed. There's other people in our church, the trochies and others who are sick and, and they need to rely on you um, in their weakness for strength. And so God, I pray that that would be the story of today that we come to glory glorify you and realize we don't have to pretend, we don't have to act like we've got it all together, That that you are the one that we need, and you are the one that will redeem and grow and give us strength. God, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. It'll be a minute before we get there, but you can go ahead and, and get your Bibles out or your phone out or whatever and, and be ready. And so there's a couple things I wanted you to be prepared for because it just fits into this series perfectly. If you've been kind of, we've been kind of announcing it, but if you've been wondering about life groups and what's going on with life groups, next week we are going to do the sign up for our new life groups. And so we've got our leaders in place. We've got our co-leaders in place. We've got our hosts in place. And so next week they're actually going to be here. There's going to be tables set up. They're going to have little signs that tell you what part of the city that they live in. So you can know what the night they that they meet, the part of the city that they live in, whichever is the most convenient for you. And the reason what we're doing that is we, we really want you to go and try a new life group. Now, if you've been with a life group for a while and you know people really well, we're not telling you have to go to a new life group, right? But we, the, a big thing that's going to be kind of filtered through today and through the rest of the series is, is really striving for Freshwater to really become a family, not just in word, not just in talk, but strive to become a family. And, and to be a family, you actually have to know each other, right? And the size of the church that we are, if we all put in like real effort, we really could get to know just about everybody in our church. Um, we've gotten in the habit as in church culture, not necessarily Freshwater, is coming to church and hearing a sermon and then leaving and never really getting to know each other. But that like doesn't exist in scripture, right? You read what the, the church looked like in scripture. We know each other. We care, we care for each other. And so one of the things that we're wanting to do with life groups is have new life groups where you can go and sign up and and I'm not saying go to a bunch of, you have to go with a bunch of strangers, but go to a place, go to a life group where you don't know everyone. Don't plan ahead like, hey, let's, let's all get together and plan for your group to be together because your group of people, your closest friends, you're gonna already see. Go, go make new family, go, go meet new people. And I know for some of us that's kind of like terrifying and I get that, but I, I don't know, Christy's not in here. I bet I've been in 13 or 14 different life groups now, like a different mix of people. And all of them became like family. Some of them took a little longer than others, right, to make those connections and grow. They all became like family because, in the end, um, we've had younger people, we've had old people, we've had brand new Christians, we've had old Christians, we've had people that have come in and, and, and not been saved and been saved. We've been all over the gamut. And the thing is, with just completely different backgrounds, but the thing is, Christ's enough. Christ is what makes us family. Christ is what binds us together. And so we want you to go and just really think about that and pray about that over the next week. We're going to have the life groups in here. We want you to be in a place where you're comfortable. We want you to, we want you to know who your life group leaders and be able to meet them. So we're going to have them here. You can meet them and you can find out who else is going to be in the life group while you're here. But next week is going to be life group sign up. The exception to go find new people is we're going to talk about this in men and women's discipleship, which is this Thursday, the launch for that is we want you to strive though, to be in life groups with people that you disciple or that you're discipled by. Now, don't, it doesn't have to be that way. Again, there's exceptions to that rule. But here's the thing. We don't want at this church to create a bunch of, a bunch of new things that you have to attend. Because life is busy for all of us, right? And we want to do as much a rhythm of life as we possibly can. So if you're in a discipleship relationship with someone, trying to meet four times a week outside of men, women's discipleship, outside of church, outside of everything else you've got going on in your life, outside of anything else connected to the church becomes a lot, Right? So what we're trying to do is, is connect you to that person where, as where, we, where we see in scripture, the disciples and Jesus and other, they like did life together, Acts 2, they did life together. If you're in a discipleship relationship with someone and let's say you guys get together two or three times a month and then you're in life group four times a month and then you're at church together four times a month. And then you go to men and women's, men and women's discipleship one time a month. All, the, all of a sudden, without really doing that much extra, a couple extra times a month than maybe what you're doing right now, all of a sudden you're, you're engaging with that person 11, 12 times a month. And that doesn't even count if you and your families get together at some point, right? So like, look, we're not trying to add a bunch of stuff. We're trying to create what scripture shows us to do, that we do life together, that we do life together. And so that being said, another really important date, and Denver's going to announce it, is this Thursday. We're going to launch men and women's discipleship. And we've got, man, we've got vision for this thing. We think this is going to carry us in our future. We're really excited. We really want you to feel like, man, I can disciple someone. And I know what it means if someone's going to disciple me. We want to make that really clear. We've got a plan. We've got a a way to do it. We're going to, we really want you to feel empowered. We want you to feel strong. Because by the way, almost no one feels like, oh yeah, I'm ready to disciple someone that just doesn't happen very often at all. We all feel insecure about it, right? Until we actually do it. Well, to be honest, I don't feel insecure about it at all anymore. But I've done it for 12 years now. Like I want you to get to that point where it just it's like it's just what you do. I'm discipling someone and someone's discipling me. That's just what we do. And so that's going to be this Thursday. I think it's 630 to it's at 630 at Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church. Denver's going to remind us of that, but come to that on Thursday. And then next week, be ready to sign up for a new life group. And then those life groups sign up next Sunday. We'll launch two weeks from that day, right? So we'll give you some time to figure out your group and where they're going to host and all that stuff. You got two weeks and then we're going to actually launch. I think it's... October what? What's the date when we launch? 9th, when we actually launch new life groups. Okay, so all that's coming up. New life groups, new family, new relationships. All right, so let's jump into where what we got for today. If you weren't with us last week, I'm sorry, you missed kind of a big week. Um, we're we're taking a break from our uh, sermon series on the Gospel of John, which we've been in forever, to do a five-week, uh, five-week series called disciple. Originally, it was called discipleship, but if you were here with us last week, I decided, man, calling it discipleship isn't right. We're calling it disciple. And so last week, what we saw is this series is really kind of rooted in one of the last things that Jesus Christ ever said to his disciples, one of the last kind of encouragements and commands he ever gave, and that was from Matthew 28. You got Matthew 28 over there? We call this the Great Commission. I'll read it for us again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're to go and make disciples, right? It's one of the greatest calls of Scripture. And not only are we to go make disciples, meaning see people have salvation in Jesus Christ, but we're to teach them to observe. We're to teach them to obey all that God has commanded them to do. Another word for that is discipleship. Teaching them to follow Christ and all that he obeyed or all that he commanded. But what we said last week is that if we're ever going to actually do that, if we're ever going to disciple people well, if we're ever as a church going to do discipleship well, we better have a real clear understanding of what a disciple is. Because what being a disciple is defines what discipleship is. And because we're not talking about being a disciple of me or a disciple of TJ or a disciple of Joe, we're talking about that we are disciples of Christ, and we better know what it means to be a disciple of Christ if we're ever going to disciple people into or do discipleship towards being a disciple of Christ. So last week, our, basically the whole sermon was based around our definition of what it means to be a disciple. And we said it's this. You got that over there, Robert? We do. Awesome. A disciple is a follower of Christ that by faith has been united to Christ and through an ever deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. So what we talked again about last week is that so often when we think of the word disciple and what it means to be a disciple of Christ, we think about what we're supposed to do. And that's where we immediately get off track. We, we think about what we're supposed to do. And so if we start there and then we think about are these are the things I'm supposed to do and I'm not doing it, all we feel is guilt, all we feel is shame or condemnation, or we can't measure up to something. But being a disciple isn't primarily about what you're supposed to do, it's about who you are. And so that's why we started with a disciple is a follower of Christ. That just means a believer, someone who has given their life to Jesus to follow him with their whole life, right? That a believer in Christ has been saved by Christ. That by faith has been united to Christ. That is the greatest truth about you, that you've been saved and united to Christ. That the old you has died with Christ and the new you, the new creation has been raised with him so that you can move forward in him because he has made you clean. He has made you righteous. He has made you holy. His spirit is dwelling in you because you've been united to him so that you can move forward in power and strength. That's what God wants for you. Move forward and grow in him. And then finally, Through an ever deepening relationship with God, we're growing to be more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is within you. So we're to pursue, the first thing we're supposed to do is just pursue God to know Him more and know more who you are in Him, abiding in Him every single day so that you can be conformed into the image of Christ and transformed to have a life that reflects Christ. That's what God wants for you. That's our foundation, church. That is our identity. I said this last week, it's a bold statement. That is the most important truth about you. There is no more important truth about you that you are a child of God bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and that you've been united to Him. That's where we start understanding who God is, what He has done, and who He says we are in Him. That's our foundation, that's our identity. There is so much more to say, but if I say any more, I'm going to be preaching last week's sermon. So I really encourage you. Noah did a really great job of finally figuring everything out and putting all the pieces together, and the sermon is online. It's on the app. It's on our website. If you missed last week's sermon, please go back and listen to it. I don't say that very often, but it is the foundation of everything we're building on, not just for this series, but really into the future. So go back and catch next week if you missed it. Okay, so for this week, once we get that right, once we get our our foundation, our identity in Christ right, we can really look at the call— that we are, once we become disciples, we are to teach each other, we are to teach others to obey. We are to teach others to bear fruit for Christ. And again, another word for that is discipleship. We don't have to give a complicated definition of discipleship. It's teaching others to follow and obey Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. We're teaching them what it means to actually be a disciple. So what we're really doing over the next three weeks in particular is we're just looking at how Jesus did, did this. We're going to look at Jesus' life and then through his example, what the rest of Scripture says about how we disciple people. Because if you do, if you look at Jesus' life, he really, once people became believers or he's trying to get them to, be, to work towards believers, Jesus discipled people in three main ways. He, he discipled people by the crowd, like the crowds would gather and he would disciple them. He would disciple the few right? He'd have, he had his 12 disciples that followed him around along with Mary and other people that were with him. Most of the time he discipled them in a much more personal way in a much more intimate way, a close knit way. So he would disciple the few. And then we see Jesus discipling the one. I say the one, two or three. We see the times when Jesus would pull away James, John, and Peter, and he'd be like, hey, follow me. I want to show you something, like the transfiguration, and like blow their minds, right? So they, they, he would take them alone and, and teach them what it means. But sometimes he'd pull people aside. One of the most powerful things in Scripture, and we're not going to dive into it today, is when he, he pulls Peter aside and says some really personal, really pointed things to Peter directly to exhort him, to encourage him, to challenge him to be all that God has called him to be. And so this is how Jesus does it. He does it with the many, he does it with a few, and he does it with the one. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. And so this week we're going to be looking specifically at the gathering of the saints, how the gathering of the saints, how the many is discipleship. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that before. Have you ever thought about what we do on Sunday morning, this gathering, have you ever thought that this, this is discipleship? Do you ever think about it that way? Or is it just coming to church and hearing the the pastor preach? You know, that's discipleship. An example, a great example of this is Jesus when he preached to, he preached to the crowds all the time, right? Um, As I said last week, it's kind of ironic. We've been in the gospel of John and we almost never see Jesus teach the crowds. We we did when he fed the 5,000, but in other books like Matthew, he's constantly teaching the crowds. Maybe Jesus' most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7. If you've never read it, go read it. It's amazing. But if if you ever paid attention to that, Jesus had the crowd. He taught them. Now, the the main thing he was teaching them about is who his father is. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching them about their identity in God, what would eventually be known as their identity in Christ, which is the most important thing. But if you read it, you, you also see that Jesus got really specific He talked very specific on a lot of different topics. He talked about marriage. He talked about divorce. He talked about anger. What else did he talk about? He talked about generosity. He talked about loving the poor. He talked about love in general, but he talked about loving your enemies, which is a really, really hard one that I think we need to look at a little bit more, right? Loving your enemies. He talked about really practical things like anxiety and worry. I mean, how many of us in the room have at times had struggle with anxiety and worry? Jesus knows this. God knows that you need to be discipled on this. You need to be counseled on this because it's a daily part of so many of our lives. He taught specifically on anxiety and worry. He taught about bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Like, listen, I didn't cover them all. He talked about a lot of other things too. Jesus was just teaching them what it meant to be a disciple. That our identity and the kingdom of God, but if our identity is found in the kingdom of God, these are the kinds of things that a disciple does. They obey and they bear fruit for the kingdom. That's what a disciple, a true disciple who has their identity found in God, in Christ, it does. Church, us coming and gathering on Sunday morning isn't a check the box kind of thing that Christians are supposed to do. And, and I know at Freshwater, you, you tend to lean that way less than maybe other, some other places or some places that you grew up in. I'm not saying Freshwater's got it figured out. There's a lot of good churches in our city. There's a lot of good churches in our city. But like, this isn't a check the box kind of thing that good Christians do. This, this is a really obeying the Great Commission because this is discipleship. This is us learning how to obey, how to be faithful, how to bear fruit from God, how to be a faithful disciple of Christ. That's why we're gathering on Sunday morning. And let's, if you were here last week, you saw this. This was what we saw from the, the patterns of the early church. From the, the very first time the church started meeting, this is what they would do. Now, we looked at Acts 2 last week, so I'm not going to pull it up. But one of the things that it, it described is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was one of the main things it said they do in Acts 2. It's what it started with. Now, I'm not an apostle, right? But what, it, what did the apostles teach? They taught what we now read in Scripture because they wrote Scripture, right? They wrote the New Testament. God gave them what they were supposed to say. Jesus gave them what the truth was because he was the word. And then they taught the word. And it says they gathered and they had fellowship and they got together and they attended the temple together and they sat under teaching so that they might be discipled on what it means to follow God. So we see that example from Jesus Christ right from the beginning. He would gather the people together and as a whole would disciple them. And then we saw In the New Testament, the very early church, this great example that they would gather and they would hear teaching and they would be discipled. But church, it's not just good examples to follow or a good pattern we're supposed to follow, but we are commanded to do this. God's commanded us together to gather. God has commanded us to be together. If you haven't turned there yet, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19, and I just love how this passage really roots the things that it needs to be rooted in. Just before this passage, the first word in verse 19 is, therefore. Just before this passage, it was talking about how Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice how we don't have to continue to make sacrifices for our sin, how we don't have to continue to atone for our sin, because Jesus was the atonement. He was the payment. He was the sacrifice that pays for all of our sin, one, one, one sacrifice for all time to cover all sin. That's the context that we're bringing into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Read with me through verse 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Man, I just love this text, but if you're newer to Christianity or you're newer to the faith, this is just full of just religious language, isn't it? So it might be kind of hard, if you're new to this thing, this might be kind of hard to understand, but I love what verse 23 says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So that's what it's really talking about in the passage that came before this. So we can't really understand this unless we understand a little bit about the Old Testament. I know we talk about this a lot, but for those of you that are newer to this, I want to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time, in the Old Testament, God's presence was found in the temple. They built a temple to hold the presence of God right? The Holy Spirit was not in God's people like the Holy Spirit is in us now through Jesus Christ. It was in the temple in the Old Testament, not just in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, right? It was the room that held the Ark of the Covenant, and God's presence was found on earth in this room. And God was so holy, and we are so sinful, that no one was allowed in that room. There was a thick curtain that covered the Holy of Holies, so no one could come into the presence of God. And if they did, the punishment was death. They were not allowed in that room. Only one person once a year, the high priest— the mediator, the high priest was the mediator between God and men could go in that room once a year to make atonement for their sins. He was the only one that could go into the presence of God, to take the sacrifice to atone, to pay to show payment for the sins of all of Israel. But what the author of Hebrews is saying right here he went, in that context he's, he's, he's saying this as if we know that, that, that Jesus Christ did away with all of this, that through Jesus' flesh, through his body that was sacrificed on the cross, he made atonement for the sins. He is not only the sacrifice, that the once and for all sacrifice that paid for all sin, but he's also the high priest now. He is the fulfillment of that role. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. And so because he's washed us clean by his blood, because he's given us his holiness and righteousness, that curtain has been torn down. There is now nothing separating us from coming into the presence of God. So what this is saying is come into the presence of God with boldness, with confidence, because you have been washed clean of your sin. You have been made holy by the one who is holy. Come to your Lord with confidence, with boldness. This is why when we go back to what a disciple is, by abiding, an abiding relationship with God, we come to him with everything, with confidence, because we have been washed clean. And he is for us because we are the children of God. Th- Again, this is who you are. This is our foundation. So even the author of Hebrews is laying the foundation of the most important thing first. But once we understand that, are, we, are the things that we have to do as disciples? Of course there is. So that's what he bridges into in verse 24. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That day drawing near is the return of Jesus Christ. So because of what God has done for us, because of his deep love for us, we are to stir up each other to love and good works. We are to help each other grow in our love. We're to help each other to live in that love every day. And we're going to help each other, stir each other up, encourage each other to do good works. Meaning, as it said in John 15, bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Do the kingdom work that God has called us to do. Listen, church, I want you to see this. That can only happen in community. That is impossible to happen on your own. If you don't know people in this church, if you haven't gotten to know them, you can't do this. This is why you hear me say it all the time. I'm going to keep saying it all the time. You can't do Christianity alone. There is nothing, it does not exist. Hey, me and Jesus are good. I don't need the church. That does not exist. Yeah, the church is messy. Yes, things happen. Yes, we are all sinful. So sinful things are going to happen, but we are meant to do this thing in community. Do you know the word that's used in this passage here is neglect? Don't neglect. In the original language in the Greek, that's a really really strong word. It means do not abandon. It means abandonment if it's used in the right context. It means to forsake, to completely leave behind. It is saying we do not neglect. We do not abandon. We do not forsake the gathering. We do not forsake. We do not neglect getting together as is the habit of some. Church, God never meant the gathering of the church, uh, of the preaching of the word, and the encouragement of the saints that comes from this to be an optional thing. Not only was the pattern laid out by Jesus, not only do we see that this is how the early church operates, but God is commanding us not to neglect this, as some do. So much, so much of the New Testament is centered on us being Together, right? Together, together, loving and supporting one another, using all of our gifts for each other, encouraging one another, challenging each other, exhorting each other, and and gathering so that we might all be discipled together in the word. And through that, that we might have unity of heart, unity of mind, unity of spirit, because we're all growing into the likeness of Christ. Do you know that's the call of the pastor? That, that is my main job, to shepherd, yes, to, to go to hospitals and to visit you after you have babies and, and meet with you one-on-one, to encourage you through difficult things, yes, and amen, all of that. That's part of shepherding. That's part of this. But my main, my main job, really, the thing that I have to take the most seriously, is those things, and to teach, to proclaim, and to protect you from false teaching. Listen, it's to disciple you as a body together so that we might all grow to reflect our true shepherd, not to make you like me, not to follow me, not to follow any pastor, to follow our true shepherd, the true pastor, our true high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church. When it comes to this call to proclaim these types of things, Paul says this in Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 28, it says, him we proclaim, Jesus, obviously, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Is that not discipleship? Teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You want to know what our goal is for discipleship of this church? Maturity. That's what what Scripture says, that we grow to know deep within us who Christ is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Him. That's what maturity is, that we reflect Jesus Christ. Church, that's discipleship. Now, of course, it's not as personal as life groups, It's not as as intimate. It's not as specific as one-on-one discipleship relationships. We're going to talk about that stuff. We need that stuff. But as Philippians 2 and so many other places says, we, again, we are to be of the same mind, having the same love and be in full accord. Have you ever read that before and actually thought about it? Be of one mind, one heart, one spirit, be in full accord. Do Do you feel like that's true of everybody in the churches you've been in? It's not talking that everything that ever happens in our culture, we're all in full agreement on. It means that in the things that matter most, man, what it means to be a disciple of God, what it means to worship God, what it means to encourage each other in the truth of the gospel, we are united. And that happens in the gathering. We get together and we talk about these things as a body together so that we are united. And then we spill out into more personal ways to talk about it and be refined by it and make it very personal for our lives. But this is how we stay united. This is how we stay whole. We aren't, we aren't to neglect this. Church, over the last couple of years in our culture and in our churches, and Freshwater's not immune to this, coming to church has become almost optional. Now I know a lot of you wouldn't say it's optional. But it's become almost like it's an optional optional thing. And listen, I get it. I know what the last 2 years just in our country have been like regardless of what's happened in your life. I understand it. I understand where we've been and what we've been through, but listen to me. It's it's listen, it's just not okay. You know I'm saying this because I love you. You know I'm not a guilt trip kind of pastor. I'm saying this because I love you. This is not okay. Because it's not only good for us to get together, it's not only good for your soul, it's not only good for your spirit, it's not only good for your maturity, but we are commanded to meet together. We are commanded together to get together. And how quick are we to make exceptions to the fact that we're supposed to gather, not come to church, be together now, I know there's exceptions to this. I don't, you, you know, I'm not this, debate beat on this kind of thing, legalistic kind of pastor when it comes to these things. You know what? If may, maybe once or twice a year, you want to get away with your family. I don't, I don't even put a number on it, right? But you want to get away with your family once in a while and, and miss the gathering. Like, listen, it's good to go get a break. You want to get away for your anniversary to celebrate your, like, the most important relationship in your life other than your relationship with Christ. Yes, your marriage is more important than your relationship with your kids. Is that controversial? If your marriage is healthy, your kids are going to be healthy. If your marriage is unhealthy, your kids are going to be way less healthy. Your marriage is the most important thing in your relationship in your life other than your relationship with Christ. So once a year, you want to get away, man, to rebuild that relationship and intimacy with your spouse, to get away from the world, to concentrate on that. Yes, amen to that. If you have twins, (laughs) when you have two other small kids and you might need a week or two off, yeah, we're going to— yeah, I think that might be a good and healthy thing. Hear me, church, shouldn't, shouldn't those things be the overwhelming exception in our lives? I mean, listen, not just the exception, overwhelming exception in our lives. There's nothing wrong with taking a week away for the right thing, but shouldn't it be an overwhelming exception. Slowly we have let, listen, the church, and our church we have let these exceptions and we let the difficulties of the world and the distractions of the world and the desires of our flesh convince us that it's okay that that maybe it's even normal and hear me i want to say i'm saying this because i love you it's not normal and it's not okay for disciples of christ Again, I'm going to say this one more time. You know my, I think most of you know my heart. This is not a guilt trip. But I think some of us need a wake-up call. Because you know I'm not the type of pastor to think, hey, we just need to check the religious box. Show up to church, check that box. That makes you a good Christian. Good job. Move on. I don't care anything about that. I don't care anything about you checking religious boxes so that you look good or do the right Christian thing. What I care about is that God is commanding us together. God is commanding us to use our gifts for each other so that we might build the church up in love. He's commanding us to use our gifts so that we might love more. How good is our God? That's the command, not command. You need to do this to be a good Christian. I'm commanding you to gather. I'm commanding you to be together so that you might be unified together, so you might have wholeness together, so you might be together, and so that your love might grow. Your love for me, your love for each other, your love for the world might grow, and so that the world might know me and might know who you are in me. What does John say in John 15? Do you remember? How the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love each other. The world's gonna know who we are by the way we love each other because that's gonna point to the love of Jesus Christ. This is why God wants us to gather first and foremost because he's worthy of it. Because we gather to give him glory, to make much of him, a people gathering to rejoice in how good our God is. But also through that gathering, God wants to build into us a unity and a wholeness and a love that we can't get when we're alone. He's commanding this because he loves us. I mean, because what, he, he knows what we need. You know what we need? Him. We need him, and he knows it because he is love. He is good. He is holy. We don't have time to really dive into this today. We've done it in the past. We'll do it again. I'm just going to touch on it today. But this is what God is trying to get us to grasp in 1 Corinthians 12. So here's your task this week. If you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount in a while in Matthew 5-7, through read it this week. It's so good. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians 12 in a while, read it this week. It's so good. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it does say this. This is kind of how the passage starts off. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. That's that's the picture of what the church is supposed to be. Jesus Christ is our head. But just as our body has many members and they all work together to make our body work, the church is meant to reflect that. And so the passage goes on to say, if you're familiar with it, it basically says this, that some of us are eyes, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are different body parts, but they're all really important. They're all really vital. When all the pieces of the body are working together, we're all more healthy. We're all more than we could have been alone. But you just think about it, if you cut off my hand, I can live through that. I can make it through that, but am I going to be as effective and as healthy as I was when I had my hand? But let's think about even a, a part of your body that's way, that seems way less important, way less noticeable than a hand. How about a tiny little nerve in your inner ear? because if you know, if those of you that know what's going on with me, I have one tiny little nerve in my, just outside of my inner ear that is wreaking havoc on my entire body. I am way less healthy because one tiny little insignificant part of your body that you didn't even probably didn't even think about was there. Maybe you didn't even know was there is malfunctioning is on, on my body and it's messing with me in crazy ways. The reason, what I love about that, to keep praying for me, it's not fixed yet, but what I love about that today is some of you feel like that. You feel like your gifts are insignificant. You don't even know what they are. You think they're not important. You think they don't matter. Listen, maybe you're just a tiny little nerve that if you're, if you're using your gift, no one will even really notice. But if you're not using your gift, we are all way weaker. We are all way less than we could be without you. Your gifts matter. Everyone who has been saved in Jesus Christ has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit and your gifts matter because all of those pieces, all of you are meant to use all of your pieces to come together so that we are one body together. So that we're more than we could ever be without each other. When we're all working properly, we're all more than we could ever have been alone. The passage in 1 Corinthians 12 finishes like this. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, it says, all of this is so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Church, the primary reason we gather is to hear the word taught and to use our gifts for each other so that we might bring glory to God. But as we gather and use those things for the glory of God, God built this whole thing, is that through that process, we will grow in our spiritual maturity to know him more. But as we grow in spiritual maturity, we'll see that our job, our role, our command, is to take care of each other. I mean, how beautiful is that? That's like the main command here. Grow in your spiritual maturity so that you might take care of each other. It's not like God doesn't know how hard this world is and how it's gonna try to crush you and how worry and fear are gonna try to own you and how suffering and pain and sickness is gonna try to derail you. And God knows that we need each other. We have him, we have the Holy Spirit within us, but he gave us each other. So in the highs, we would celebrate together. We would rejoice when the good things happened together. You know why? Because we actually know each other. And then in the suffering, And the pain, which, listen, if you're not in right now, is coming for you. That is a part of this life. Suffering, when the suffering and pain comes, we we go through the suffering and pain together. I feel your pain, and you feel my celebrations, because we care for each other. Church, that's what God really wants to see. That's what the Bible is talking about. One heart, one mind, united in Christ. Oh my goodness, it's so much more than just attending. It's a commitment to each other. It's a commitment to each other. I feel like Ephesians, well, Ephesians 4 sums this up so perfectly. So again, we're not going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians. I'm going to basically read it and, and cover it as I go. But turn to Ephesians 4. Go left in your Bibles if you're in Hebrews, just a little ways to Ephesians 4. This is a foundational text for Freshwater Church for the church, but it really just explains how this is supposed to work. It just lays out for us what, what this looks like in a healthy church. Ephesians 4, verse 11, we're going to read through verse 16. Ephesians 4, 11 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Really quick before we move on, man, people like to debate what all that means. You know what that really just means? Those called to lead you to Jesus Christ. We we can get all hung up, but listen, let's just talk about those who are meant to pastor you, to teach you, to lead you. Why did God give you pastors? Why did God give you leaders in the church? Verse 12, it tells us to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity. There that word is again, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to maturity, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That means that you are led astray by your sin, by lies, by the world, or by false teaching, lead you away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That is the role for each other. Not Listen, I didn't even say that that's my role. I, my role is to equip all of us to protect all of us from that, that we all protect each other from getting caught up in our own sin and the lies of this world and in false teaching. We guard each other. We protect each other. We fight for each other. Verse 15. So when that stuff happens, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. There's that body analogy again, by every joint with which it is equipped. We are equipped through the body. When each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in, and there it is again, love. That is my job church. Not to preach a great sermon so that you can come here and get a and, and be a little bit entertained and get a little pick me up to get you through the rest of the week. Praise God if my sermons or Tony's or TJ or whoever else stands up here, praise God if it encourages you, convicts you, stirs you to love God more. Praise God. That's what this is, discipleship, right? But the real role of it is is to disciple the church as a whole, to equip you to do the work of the ministry, to equip you to be disciples of Christ that go and do the good works of Jesus Christ, that fight for each other, that fight for the gospel, that fight for truth. That's what my job is. That's what the church is supposed to be, a family fighting for each other. The rest of the passage tells us to build up the body of Christ so that we might be united in Christ and help each other grow into spiritual maturity and have lives, I love this phrase, I've always loved this phrase, and to walk in the fullness of Christ. That fullness of Christ that he's promising, is that that joy in him, that peace in him, that hope in him, that truth in him, that confidence that comes in Jesus Christ when we aren't walking in condemnation but in the blessing that comes with being a follower, a disciple of Christ. Church, we are to fight for each other. We are to guard each other. We are to exhort, which really means to to call out truth, to call out sin, to encourage each other, to walk in holiness. We are to exhort each other. So that when this world tries to lead us astray when false teaching tries to put the veil over our eyes, when, just listen, when our sin tries to own us, we are there for each other. Speaking the truth of the gospel to our own hearts and to the, the gospel to the hearts of others, speaking the truth of Christ's love to each other so that we might be transformed into his, into his image and con- conformed into how he lived his life. Church, when we all take our part in the gathering meaning this, the gathering, seriously, when we all take that God has given us gifts to use for the sake of building each other up seriously, we all become stronger. We all grow in our maturity. We are all equipped for the good works that God's, God's called us, that God's commanded us to do. And most importantly, we grow in our love, our love for God, our love for each other, and our love for a lost and broken world that needs us. And when I say he needs us, they don't really need us. They need Jesus Christ. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. But who has God chosen to take the truth of the gospel to the world? You and me. Listen, coming to church one more time is not something that we do simply to be a good Christian. The gathering is something that God commands us because he loves us. The gathering, listen, one more time. I know it's not enough. In case any of you are thinking that today, I know it's not enough. We need to go deeper. We need to get more personal. We need to really invest in each other's lives. We need to invest in our neighbor's lives. We need to invest in our family's lives. Like it, it doesn't, it can't stop here. We're going to get to take the gospel outside of these walls in week five, right? All this stuff. We're going to get to all of that. But it, it's meant to start here in unity, unified in purpose, heart, and mind, to be discipled together so that we might take it out of the gathering into each other's lives and into the world. As the word said to us today, church, do not neglect this. Don't abandon this for the cares of this world, for right here together is where discipleship is really going to begin. So to close this out today, I kind of want to give us an action plan. I don't always get this specific, but today I want to get specific. Because here's what I want us to do. I want us to start pursuing the gathering. This, again, we're going to talk about the other things in the coming weeks. But today we're talking about the gathering. I want you to start pursuing this not as an obligation or something that that people in the Midwest do on Sundays, but I want you to start treating it like this is actually your family. That you're going to be with your family. And so I, I want us to be realistic about that. Um, I don't want to stand up here and act like I don't get it. Listen, you can only have so many deep relationships, right? And so I kind of think of it, I've said this to other people, this is nothing new, you've heard this before, but we can only have so many people in our inner circle. And I don't mean like a clique, right? I mean the people that we know really, really deeply and really, really well. We only have so much margin, right? We can't know everybody in this church really, really deeply, Right? I've, I've got enough time just trying to keep up with the really close relationships and with my family, right? That's hard enough, but we can only have so many. I'm not asking you to wear yourself out trying to know everybody in this room as deeply as you know everybody else. That's impossible. But you can know some really, really deeply. You can be really honest and confess, and there can be people in this room that know almost everything about you, and you know most, almost everything about them, and you exhort and encourage and grow each other in love. We'll get that in one-on-one discipleship. That's really what that is. And then you have the next circle, where people that you know pretty well, that you're pretty close to them. Like, I look at this more as your, your life group type of relationships. You know a lot about them. You know a lot about what they're going through. You're not getting together all the time, right? You're not gathering all of the time, but as much as you can, you know each other really, really well, and you pursue relationships with each other. That's life group and around a life group size. But then there's that kind of like the greater circle of people that you can't possibly know that well, but they're still your family. You know their kids' names. You know what's going on in general. You know what's going on in their life. You know what to pray for when somebody says, hey, um, Denver was doing such a, and you don't say, who's Denver, right? But you actually know these people. Listen, you can do this. You can know everybody in this church on that outer circle kind of thing where you know them. Again, you don't know everything about them, but you actually know them. I don't know if you've ever watched me on Sunday morning. And listen, I don't have all this figured out. This came from a lot of failure. But I'm very, almost always going and meeting people that I haven't talked to in a while, that I've never met, or I'm getting to know them. So I can make connection points with almost everyone in our church. I can't know you all super deeply. But I know a lot of you, most of you pretty well. And a lot of times the people that we don't know pretty well, we invite over to the house. I'm, I don't mean to have people over to your house every night of the week. But once in a while, inviting people over, get to know them. They're your family. This is the thing God's calling us to, to be a family, to be united. You can't be united if you don't know them. Something that I got really convicted about about six, eight months ago. Maybe some of you haven't noticed this, but have any of you noticed how much more often I'm holding babies? I'm holding little kids. I'm hanging out with little kids before the service. I got convicted like, listen, as a pastor, I need to know these kids too. I'm their pastor too. It's their, the parents' role right now to be the main influence of their lives, but I'm their pastor too, so I've beginning to know kids more. And listen, like, of families that I already love, the fact that I'm getting to know their kids more, I'm starting to love their family even more. I didn't think I could, I could love people like Samuel and Nikki anymore, but I do, because Murphy, jeez. I don't care that she, i tried to hold her day, and she just screamed at me for like 10 minutes straight. But I tried. I tried. It was one of those days. It was just one of those days. But She needed mama, and that's beautiful. But um, I, I'm trying. Listen, I want you to try. Um, and that, that's gonna, here, here's this next section. I'm, this, I'm about to get in controversial territory. You guys ready? I'm gonna ask some of you parents to let go a little bit. Usually you let go when you have your second kid. We let go when we had our second kid. We were like super tight and then the second kid, we're like, phew, phew, go, you know, hang out with them, right? But here's how it should be. It, it, it should be where parents don't have to worry about any other kids because we're all looking out for everybody's kids, right? If we see somebody run out in the hallway and there's a little kid running alone, we don't think, huh, I wonder where Kayla is. No, we go and grab Cadence. So we run out there and we grab her. and Like, where are you going? Get back in here. Right? We're all taking care. I saw Esther do that this morning. I won't say whose kids, but some kids were up on, I think they are on the bench with their shoes, right? Getting there. And, and she was like, oh, she's so sweet. Esther was so sweet. Esther takes care of all of us. But she just gently and lovingly told them, get the heck down and get your, your shoes off that bench. It didn't sound like that. It was very sweet, but I heard it and I thought that's, that's who we need to be as a church. That's something simple, right? But that's what the church should be. We should know each other's kids. We should know each other's families. We shouldn't have to worry about if you show up 30 minutes to church and you have two little kids, you shouldn't have to worry about like, oh, he's just chasing them, chasing them around and not knowing where they are and it becoming a stressful thing because you're here early with two small kids. We should all be helping each other out, particularly those of us that don't have small kids anymore. We should be willing to just go and help out. And that means parents, some of you, like if somebody that you know pretty well, but not really, really intimately grabs your kid and brings them to you, you don't go, (gasps) right? We got to find a balance, protect your kids. But we're supposed to be family, get to know them. So when they pick up your kid, you're like, oh, thanks, Ray. That was awesome, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the help. Let's take care of each other. Because I don't know if you remember this, when we first moved to Williams, I said, listen, I want all of us to start showing up 30 minutes early to church. I mean, show up 30 minutes early. Stop treating it like something that we attend. Start treating it like a family and come here and help. Like some of us, we set up, we start setting up chairs at 9, 10, 9, 15. We'd love for you to come and help set up chairs. But honestly, lately we've had, we've had plenty of people help. We get that done by like 9, 20. Like come in early and help set up chairs or help with a, with a connection table or help with his kids if you can show up at between 9 and 9, 15. But then other than that, just stay and just hang out and, and act like it's a family and get to know people. I know for you introverts, that's hard. You don't get a pass. You do not get a pass. Meet one person a week, right? One person a week. If you don't, if it's too hard for you, come stand next to me and be like, I need some help. Like, let's go. I got you. Like, we'll go meet people, but this is your family. You don't get a pass on not knowing everybody. That's how we're not, we're not a church of 2000. You can know everybody here. Um, you can know everybody in that outer circle and move it towards an, an inner type of circle. So I want you I want you to like take that as not a guilt trip, but like as a conviction. I'm a disciple of Christ. This time together, you being a disciple of Christ, your family, and the gathering of this family is supposed to be the most important thing in your life. Not your job. Your job's important. I'm not acting like it's not important, it's really important. Not not if you're tired, not if you stayed out too late and can't make it to church. Who's that on, right? This is supposed to be the most important or one of the top three most important things in your life. Maybe we could strive. Listen, I know it's hard. We could strive to make it so. Make it the priority for your family on Sunday. Not just be here, but be here early and to get to know your family. As TJ said last week, and this was convicting to me in the best possible way, but TJ said, you know, it should get to the point, we should strive for this, it should get to the point where if someone's not here on Sunday, it's weird and we should worry about them. And you know the reason I felt conviction of that is because I noticed that people aren't here, but I don't think I need to reach out to them that week. And then sometimes they're not here for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. And then like at six weeks, I'm like, oh, dang it, where are they? I need to reach out to them. By six weeks, who knows what's happened in those six weeks, right? It should get to the point where if, we, if someone's not here, we aren't, don't you dare be the type of church like, they're not at church today. I'm going to call them up. What am I going to say? Oh, how am I going to guilt trip them? Don't you dare. I'll be angry. That's not the kind of church where everyone, love. If someone's not here and you don't know why and you think it's kind of weird, you text them that week. and It's like, hey, I love you and I missed you this week. Anything I can be praying for, anything going on? And they're like, no, we just had a family vacation this week. It was our summer, it's, you know, once a, once a summer vacation. Fantastic. We can celebrate with them that they had a good time on vacation, right? But that's the point that we should get to. That's where this family thing should go. Church, I know it's hard, particularly if you have small kids, but just listen life. It's hard to make this the priority that it should be. I don't want to act like it's not, but this is what God's called us to. This is what he's commanded us to. And listen, this is what we need. We need to be this kind of church. We need to be this kind of family because this is how we're going to grow in spiritual maturity. This is how we're going to bring glory to God. This is who we're going to be, who we're meant to be in Christ. I pray that we all could really think through this and pray through this this week and take it really seriously. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your help this week. I pray for your help with every heart in this room, including my heart. Like God, I can't, I can't preach a good enough sermon. The people in this room aren't aren't good enough Christians to be able to pursue this the way that you that you want us to pursue. But God, you are enough. Jesus, thank you for saving us and redeeming us so that your Holy Spirit could be in us and could convict us and stir us and pull us into the direction we're supposed to go. God, help us to see that that your strength is in us to pursue this and that you're calling us to pursue this. One, because you deserve for us to be here every week, once a week, to cry out in song, to cry out in preaching, to cry out in worship of how good you are to set aside this time every week to remember your glory, remember how good you are. You are worthy of that. So help us to make it a priority simply for that, because you are worthy for this to be be the number one priority to us on Sunday mornings. But even though that's true, God, I just want to thank you that you also within that, even though you're commanding us to be here and that should be enough for us, you gave us each other so that we might grow in our love. God, I pray that you would help us, Freshwater, to be a family united in heart, united in mind, united in the fullness of you, Jesus. And that we would desire to get to know our family. That you'd give us a desire to want to be a family. And that it would transform us. And we would become even more mature in you. And the fruit of that would spill out of this room, out of this gathered body, into our lives, into our discipleship relationships, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. And that would reach the lost. God, thank you for this time to gather. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word and to worship you. I pray that it would bear fruit for the sake of your name, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray, amen.